We're going to look this morning, we're going to do something different. Okay, now last week, in case you weren't with us, we looked at Romans 5, verses 12 to 19. And what, what Paul does there is he contrasts the first Adam with the second Adam. The first Adam is Adam, the very first man. Scripture refers to Jesus as the second Adam. And we see the great contrast between the first Adam and the second Adam. We know that all humanity is in the first Adam. That's why all die. We have suffered the consequence of Adam's sin in the garden. It's imputed sin. Now, we might sit here thousands of years later and say, well, that's not fair, I wasn't there, but we're going to get to that. The point is, you suffer death because of sins at, of Adam's sin. The consequences of sin is death. All die in Adam. And the only way to be saved is to be in the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we'll continue that exposition next week when we get to verses 20 and 21, and we'll transition into chapter 6. But this morning, I want to focus on the doctrine of original sin. That is, God's decreed will. The most consequential sin in history is the sin of Adam. In competing for the most consequential sin in history, that is Adam's sin, is the sin of once holy angels who came to love their own glory more than God's glory. Now when we talk about original sin, we mean the sin that was when there wasn't any before it, quite simply. So when we study a passage like chapter 5, it raises questions in people's minds. If God is sovereign over everything, why did he create Satan if he knew he would fall, if he knew he would rebel? If God is sovereign over all things, why did he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden in the first place? You've thought about these things. Your children certainly have or they will. So I want to look this morning. I'll just reread verses 12 through 14. Pray then I want us to reason through the scriptures with regard to the decrees of God in light of original sin. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed through your word just exactly what you want your people to know. While at the same time, There are certain things that you have not revealed that we must embrace all by faith. Help us this morning, Lord, to understand the decrees of you, our mighty God, whose purpose belong to you alone, for the glory of your name alone, and the things we don't understand. Increase our faith 
Lord, to continue to trust that you are the sovereign. Sovereign, omnipotent ruler of your universe and your creatures created in your image for your glory and the good of your people. And help me to convey this truth and the power of the Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, as people begin to think through these things, they wonder and they ask, why did he allow it? Why did he allow, why did he create Lucifer if he knew he would rebel? Why did he allow the tree and the garden? Why did he place it there? All these questions. And they conclude, well, doesn't then original sin ultimately originate with God if he is sovereign ruler of all, of all people's places and things? I mean, after all, the scripture declares that he has decreed all things. So we ask, does this have anything to do with Jesus, right? The one who created the universe. The one who healed the blind, the lame, the deaf, raised the dead. He spoke to the elements in the midst of a storm and immediately, by his word, it stopped. The one who scripture says in Hebrews 1, 3, is the one who upholds the universe with the word of his power. Does all this have something to do with Jesus? Now, before we get into this study, this doctrinal study, we must remember, beloved, and this is very important, we reap the consequences of fallenness. And we have not the capacity to understand the origin of sin in a sinless man, Adam. We have not the capacity to understand that, let alone why Lucifer fell from the elevated platform that God decreed him to have. We're fallen creatures. Now, I said last time that many people believe that Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21 is the most complex in all of the book of Romans, with the exception, perhaps, of Romans 9. Just wait till we get there. But I believe that to be the case with most because they try to logically reason by way of a fallen human intellect. Not a one of us, beloved, have experienced the same conditions of free agency that Adam did. We have no concept. So the the difficulty here lies not on God, beloved. It's not on God. Now, as, as I will argue, a lot of people try to make excuses for God. They try to get him out of a jam, so to speak. God's in no jam. He's not painted back into some corner. So the difficulty is not on God in his perfectly decreed will, but is only in our ignorance, what we don't know. And there's certain things we don't know, we just can't know. This side of eternity. So we know that Adam originated sin in this world as a sinless man. And yet scripture tells us that from all eternity, God has ordained every single thing that comes to pass. Now, beloved, trust me, there are a lot of churches that refuse to teach that. Even though scripture is clear on the matter. Instead, they expend all kinds of energy trying to get God off the hook. So they create their own doctrine. By denying the decrees of God, the sovereign purposes of God, 
and in turn lay heavy emphasis on the decrees of man. That's where it goes. Thinking again that they're somehow protecting God by rejecting his absolute sovereign rule over all things, good and evil. Now, as we read scripture, we see that God indeed chooses in advance certain events to take place. Did God predestine to create? Yes, amen. And he therefore what? Created. God predestined to create. He therefore created. Nothing hindered him. Nothing stopped him. He just said, let there be, and there was. Amen? The Bible clearly instructs us that God predestines events, circumstances. We read of Cyrus in Isaiah 45. In chapter 44, prophesied 150 years or so, I think, before he was ever born. And they all happen according to his decreed will and timetable. Nothing will hinder it. Nothing will stop it. The Bible teaches us clearly that God predetermined to crucify his son in order to redeem a people for himself before they were ever created. Before his son arrived on earth, conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, chosen by God to carry the Savior. 1 Peter 1.18 says, You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as gold or silver silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before what? The foundation of the world. That is, beloved, that God decreed before creation that Christ would indeed redeem many, writing this to a church under persecution, where Peter refers to, in chapter 1 and verse 1, as the elect by the foreknowledge of God. The Bible plainly teaches that God somehow chooses some for salvation before they were ever born. Don't ask me how. He just does. I'm just telling you what this says. And the purpose for his selection is not in you. It's not in me. It's not in anyone else. It's not in any kind of foreseen good and evil that they will or will not do, that they will produce, but is entirely according to his own sovereignty. For instance, in Romans 9, Paul refers to Jacob and Esau. And verse 11, he says, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purposes of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She, Rebecca, their mother, was told, The older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then, verse 14? Is there injustice with, on God's part? Absolutely not. God decreed in advance that the elder would serve the younger, choosing in advance certain benefits for one over the other because he decreed it as such. So why does he do it? Well, beloved, let me help. The only answer that the Bible provides is this. It is for the good pleasure of his own will. That's the only answer we have. Is that good enough for us? I don't think it's good enough for everybody. But hopefully as we grow, it's good enough for us. So, the real debate, the real debate 
is on what basis does God predestine events, people, sin, and evil, okay? Now, many Christians try to reason, and they'll say, they reason by saying that God knows in advance what his creatures are going to do. He knows in advance, in advance what the angels were going to do, what people are going to do, choices they will make, circumstances they will involve themselves in. So he looks through the corridor of time, they say, okay? God looks through the corridor of time, and he then determines what he'll do as his creatures live, act, abide, and or rebel. That is not what foreknowing means. Many, therefore, will argue that God foresees the future, but he doesn't determine the future. Now, let's think about this. If that were the case, God's will then becomes dependent upon man's will. God becomes dependent upon man. And they then actually decree the future. If God only sees the future and reacts based upon man's or angel's decisions, if that is the case, God is merely reacting to his created order instead of proactively determining and regulating it. Does that make sense? So naturally, the ultimate sovereign then is not God, but man. It would be man. Now, we believe, as we see along with Scripture, that God foresees the future, not dependent upon man, but he sees it as most certain because he has determined those very things to come to pass. But, wait a minute, John. Wait a minute. If God put the forbidden tree in the garden, doesn't he ultimately tempt Adam with evil? Well, we'll let the scriptures answer that. We'll deal with that first. James 1.13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself, what? Tempts no one. Let no one say, including Adam, I'm being tempted by God, right? God does indeed test our faith, does he not? Oh, yes, he does. He tests our faith. But never does he tempt us in the sense of soliciting us to do evil. God could no more tempt you to do evil than he could do evil himself because it's contrary to his very nature. Okay? As we follow James through down to verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, there are shifting shadows as, as we look through any given day, caused by the moon and sun, uh, due to change throughout the day. As the earth orbits and all, and we see shadows, and the sun appears to rise and appears to set casting shadows, but the creator and the very source of light himself, his character does not change. It does not change. It casts no shadow. So regardless, beloved, of which angle you look at God, be it the angle of grace, the angle of judgment, the angle of the Old Testament, the angle of the New Testament, the angle of his predetermined will in choosing human beings or determined to do whatever it is he wants to do, there is no variation and no shadow due to change. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him is no 
darkness at all. So here, beloved, we see clearly that the stain and guilt of original sin is not on God's hands. He didn't cause Adam to sin. He did not cause Adam to sin. It originated in Adam. It's a mystery. There's no doubt about that. And it affected every image bearer of God thereafter, including everyone in this room this morning. But, someone will ask, has he then predestined evil as well? Has he predetermined for there to be original sin? Well, beloved, if sin came, he had to have created that sin to be part of his plan. He had to have. We know that sin cannot enter as something that is outside of his decreed will. Nothing's going to sneak in on him. Nothing. As though it's barged in or came in through the back door. Nothing is beyond his control. God wasn't sitting there creating and all things, putting all things in order, and all of a sudden there's, oh, Satan, I didn't see that one coming. No. Not possible. So we must conclude that he did indeed predetermine it as such. Now, some try to get away from the problem. Here's a seeming problem we have. And they'll say this. Well, it's because man has free will. And God had nothing whatsoever to do with the potential for original sin. Because if he decreed everything, then he provided the potential for it in the first place. But free will, beloved, in their argument, there is simply another way to, to tag this great mystery. It's, it's, it's a way to get out of this great mystery. But it doesn't lead you too far because you'll end up in a corner. It doesn't resolve the, the problem. Because the moment you admit that God foreknew Adam was indeed going to sin, and that foreknowing it still went ahead and allowed for it to happen, and that he didn't stop it, then he must not have foreknown it. Why didn't he stop it? If he saw it coming and didn't stop, see, it doesn't resolve the problem. So when you ask a person who raises that argument, well, why did he allow it? And they say, well, he knew he would send his son to give us the opportunity to be saved. But if God foreknew someone would reject, if he foreknew someone would reject and he allowed this original sin, then he went ahead and he created those he knew would reject and therefore as a result would go to hell if it's free will. doesn't resolve the problem. So at the end of the day, they're left with the same problem, but they do their best not to admit it, that it's not a problem. Well, it's free will. It's free will. But if you think through it, it's still a problem. So they're still laboring to get God off the hook. Now, others will come to a place of saying, well, God doesn't decree things. He permits them. Okay, but question. Is this permitting consent to do something that comes up outside of what he's already decreed to happen in the first place? No, it can't be. You think about all causes in the earth of sin and evil. Those are secondary causes. But secondary causes are always according to the ultimate cause, and that's God's decreed will, which again is a mystery. It's a mystery. For instance, some say that God only permitted Judas 
to betray Jesus. Okay? But in Luke 22, verse 3, Scripture says Satan led, to Jude, led Judas to do what Acts 2.23 says was God's definite foreordained plan. Okay? In the Old Testament, in 1 Chronicles 1.21, the Scripture says that Satan stirred David to take a census of his military power, which proved to be sin, okay? First Chronicles one twenty one. while 2 Samuel 24.1 says it was God that was the cause behind Satan to stir up David to take the census in the first place. For Satan to do anything, he has to be granted what? Permission by God, period. J- Satan gets permission to torment Job. Satan gets permission to take the life of Job's children, but he could not touch Job's life because God demanded it as such. So when his family was taken, Job replied, the Lord has taken away. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay? So according to Scripture... Rather than trying to protect God's reputation, we come right out and we say here that God purposed it all according to his plan. I don't need to try to get God off the hook. Now, in his wisdom, which is beyond ours, he ordered it all according to and for his own glory. I don't fully understand that. But you know what? I believe that. Nobody in here understands that, but the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe it? He ordered it all, including sin and including evil. How dare you say such a thing? Well, let's look at some texts. Let's look at 1 Samuel. Go back. Or actually, we may have these. Yeah, 1 Samuel 16, 14. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented Saul. 2 Samuel 17, 14. Now Absalom raises up a coup against his own father. You remember the story? He wants his father dead. He wants to usurp the authority of his father. So he starts seeking counsel. He seeks it from Ahithophel and and Hushai. And notice verse 14. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of, of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel, for the Lord had what? Ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Striking, isn't it? When we go to Second Chronicles, we get to chapter 10. Now here, a little background. Solomon, great king of Israel, has died. Rehoboam is about to be made king. 
Jeroboam, on the other hand, who had been exiled down in Egypt, goes, hears about it, quickly travels back up, gathers a people, stands before Rehoboam, and he offers to serve him faithfully if he would lift the heavy yoke of his father. Okay, in other words, you know, lighten up this heavy tax burden and so on. Well, Rehoboam seeks counsel from some older seasoned men, which is always very wise. And he refuses that counsel, and he seeks the counsel then of the young Turks, his peers, cocky lads. He comes out and he says, my father disciplined you with whips, I'll discipline you with scorpions. And then we read, So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by God, that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Why did Rehoboam react in such a sinful and foolish way? We could come up with all kinds of answers from the human side, right? We could look at the secondary causation behind it all, but the primary causation, the ultimate answer behind all of it was the Lord's predetermined will. When we, when we move on a few chapters, we get to 2 Chronicles 18 and verse 22. King Ahab of the northern tribes made an alliance with Jehoshaphat king of the southern tribes, to go to war together against Syria. Okay, and then there's this group of prophets, most of which were all bad prophets, lying prophets, false prophets. And there was one among them that was good, and anyway, long story short, verse 22, Behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster concerning you. God decreed this to happen, and it happened. No explanation other than that it was his will. Second Chronicles 25 and verse 20. And this is where Israel defeats, defeats Amaziah. It says, uh, Amaziah would not listen. Why wouldn't he listen? Well, we could come up with all kinds of secondary reasons that he didn't listen. But it was of God. In order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies because they had sought the gods of Edom. So here again, God's ultimately sovereign, absolutely of all things. And again, as we read from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. I form light, create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Things. Okay, now some, in resistance to these facts, will throw their hands up in the air and they'll say, well, fine. Then what you're telling me is that all human responsibility you might as well throw out an open window, right? That's where the argument goes then. Beloved, this glorious truth in no way discounts human responsibility. None at all. 
There's a story of an old country preacher. He was preaching on what I'm preaching on right now, the sovereign decrees of God. Country preacher. If you're a country preacher, you've got farmers in your congregation. One farmer who was there left after the service, and there's two ways that the brother could go home. He could take one route that took three minutes and another route that took 30 minutes. Now, the three-minute route led him down an embankment, a narrow path, and the 30-minute route was wide, open, flat, safe, little rolling hills, which he was accustomed to. Well, he figured that if he was predestined to get home safe, he could take the shortcut. So he takes the shortcut. Horse falls off a cliff. Horse dies. He breaks both of his legs, ends up in the hospital. The preacher comes to visit the farmer, and he says, how are you doing there, bud? And the farmer says, it's all your fault that I'm here. He said, well, how's it my fault? He said, your stupid sermon on the sovereign decrees of God foreordaining everything to happen. I figured if he foreordained for me to get home safe, I could take the shortcut, and no matter what way I took, I'd end up safe. I get home safely. The preacher said, did you ever go that way before? He says, no. The preacher says, why not? He goes, only a fool will go down that road. <laughs> to which the preacher replied, well, I suppose God foreordained you to be a fool, and you made your calling and election sure last Sunday morning. <laughs> Mature Christians don't grit their teeth and get all bowed up towards God and the doctrine of his decreed perfect will. Well, if God is God, I, can do any, I can't do anything about it anyway. I guess I'll just go along my way the way I choose. That's foolish. No Christians say what are you going to do? They don't do that. Mature Christians by faith entrust themselves to God and trust themselves to the sovereignty of God. And what we do know, we need to focus on obeying what we do know, not trying to figure out what we don't know. Right? Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may what? Do all the words of this law. See, beloved, the secret things of our Creator reveal for us that He has chosen not to convey certain things, period, end of story. Which anticipates the need for humility, the need for trust and obedience as the creature to what He has revealed. We're creatures, beloved. We're not co-creators. We are creatures of the one and only Creator. You know, the Bible tells us that even wickedness exists for God's own purposes. Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord has made what? Say it again. Everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. But how can God ordain something that causes sinful action? I mean, he has his hand in it somehow. It's obvious. Thomas Watson answers it better than I could ever answer it. He said this, quote, God always has a hand in the action where the sin is, but he never has a hand in the sin of the action. 
You see, beloved, as we read Scripture, which we're about to do, what God decrees is exactly what man desires. What God decrees is exactly what man demands, and what God decrees is exactly what man does. Amen? Acts 2, beginning in verse 22. I don't think I have these up. Here's Peter preaching. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There's a paradox for you. The sovereignty of God, foreordained, predetermined. Does it make these men any less accountable for their sin? Absolutely not. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to him, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God, what? Calls to himself. So they received, those who received the word, they were baptized that day. Acts 4, verse 26. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's citing Psalm 2. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. What were they doing, beloved? They were screaming to have Christ crucified. To do, verse 28, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. All things that men did against Christ, beloved, were done according to Scripture, yet without any knowledge on man's part of what they were doing, that it was already written. It was already foreknown by God, foreordained, in other words. Not that he looked down the corridor time to see what he's going to do. He foreordained it all. But yet, they're completely culpable, accountable. So it's foreknown, not in the sense of seeing the future, but foreordaining the future. That's what the word foreknow means. So what they did was done out of the hatred within their own hearts. What they demanded is exactly what they wanted, which is in line with exactly that which God decreed in eternity past. And that is they were screaming for the blood of Christ. Nothing but the blood of Christ would have satisfied them that day. While at the same time, nothing but the blood of Christ satisfied the wrath of God on that day. That is a mystery. We do not need to try to protect God to this glorious mystery. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of who? The Lord. And he turns it wherever he will. 
You know, you and I can stand near a stream of water. We can dam it up. We can cut out a channel, shovel out a channel, and have that water move in either direction, but never once infringing upon the freedom of the water. Try it sometime. And so too, Almighty God can and will purpose certain things, order certain events, so that out of men's hearts, they will do the very things that he has foreordained, the very things they want to do. Because they hate him. And they do them because they want to do them. Matthew 27. Verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who's called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with this Jesus who's called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. And again, nothing but Christ's blood would satisfy their hate and their rage on that day. Was this outside of God's decreed will? Absolutely not. It was all going according to plan. And men were doing exactly what they wanted, crying out for exactly who they wanted. And God's decreed will was in no way being swayed, twisted, or manipulated. He controls every minute circumstance as the sovereign over all secondary circumstances, all secondary causes. Theodore Beza, 1582, wrote this, quote, When from eternity God decreed whatever was to happen at definite moments, he at the same time also decreed the manner and the way which he wished it thus to take place to such extent that even if some flaw is discovered in a second cause, it yet implies no flaw or fault in God's eternal counsel. Amen. End of quote. Why did God predetermine Satan to rebel and fall? How did sin originate in the soul of the first man, made in God's image, who was sinless? Why did once holy angels turn on God and hate him, beloved? God's word does not supply us the answer. We don't know what was in the mind of Satan. We don't know what was in the mind of Adam. I don't know. But any attempt to try to fill in the blanks here, trying to protect God, which is arrogance, trying to protect God, would be to add to his word. That's adding to the word of God. 
What we do know to be true is that God has ordained all things from beginning to end. Including Satan's fall. Including the forbidden fruit in the garden. Including Adam's fall. Including the crucifixion of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet some want to refuse to talk about the predetermined will of God. In some go as far as to say, if you teach on the decrees of God, the predetermined will of God, that is dangerous and that is destructive for the church. Contraire, mon frere. For anyone to respond like that, that teaching about God's predetermined will is destructive and dangerous, they're entering into dangerous territory. You create suspicion about what God's word does teach. We're not going to do that. May no man create suspicion about what God has declared to be true. They, they take away from the word of God. Trying to protect God as to the word of God, and there's a warning for those who add to or take from the word of God in Revelation. See, beloved, when believers begin to struggle, and we all will, because God is great, he's infinite, we're finite. Amen? It's going to take eternity for us. Eternity, which means forever and ever, ever, we'll always be learning because he's infinite. We're finite. We'll always be finite. He is infinite. So we'll always be learning about this glorious king, this mighty, sovereign, omnipotent God. When we begin to struggle with these things, we must first take precaution not to press our own assumptions into the scriptures. Amen? And I used some of those examples this morning in order to hopefully help you and persuade some of you who think like that to think otherwise. For the glory of God and your own benefit and growing in the grace and knowledge of God, according to what Scripture does declare, fallen human logic cannot and will not figure out or pry open the secret decreed wills of God. There's no way. We're only human. So when men try to twist scripture or doctrine up doctrine in an attempt to protect God, they're not exhibiting humble faith, but only arrogant unbelief. We must remember this. That's the pride of the human intellect. Isaiah 55, 8. The Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts, then your thoughts. Can we just say amen to that? Do we believe it? Okay, let me give you a summary of the whole Bible as we close up. Romans 11, verse 36. Summary of the whole Bible. For from him and through him, and to him are what? All things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Okay, meaning, from out of him, everything comes. Everything comes from out of him. Out of God, out of his purposes, out of his decrees, it comes out of God. And then through him, that is, by means of him, by his means, it all comes to pass. Secondary causes are always subject to the primary cause, and that is the sovereign decreed will of Almighty God. And then to Him, that is into Him, 
All things have their consummation in God and in His glory, ultimately. And then he concludes, Amen. So be it. Let it be. Amen. So this reminder of God's sovereign wisdom and His power over all happenings, all places, all things, provides us, as His people, a certain sense of comfort, beloved. Amen? A certain sense of security and and safety. Bigger faith. Greater gratitude. Do we stand and fight against evil? You better believe we do. We're called to. We're called to resist the evil one. We don't throw our hands up in the air, which is, well, what's it going to be is going to be. We fight, we run, we keep our eyes affixed on Christ. The things that he has revealed, we obey according to the power of the Holy Spirit within us. The secret things, they belong to him. And we realize God's hands, beloved, are never tied, but he rules alone as the sovereign. He's the sovereign ruler. So the point of Romans 5, verses 12 to 21, is that in view of Adam's sin, which was indeed imputed to you, it was imputed to you. You suffer his, the consequence of Adam. There's no doubt about it. But it's also to understand and cherish the achievement of the second Adam's saving work and worth because all his righteousness was imputed to you. You had nothing to do with Adam's sin. You had nothing to do with the righteousness of Christ. You had nothing to do with either of them. You reap the consequences of the first, revealing you're a sinner. You will die. That reveals you're a sinner. The consequence of sin is death. And by being in Christ, you reap the benefits of the righteous one, eternal life. You had nothing to do with that either. The second Adam, Christ, as Scripture refers to him, wasn't sent as God's random, impulsive response to the first Adam's fall. It was preordained. Preordained. So Adam's sin in no way frustrated the Christ-exalting plan and purposes of God. It was all according to plan. A mystery? Yes. We don't need to press into Scripture something that gets him off the hook. He's not on any hook. What does the clay say to the potter? Why have you formed me like this? Who are you to question the potter? Amen. That's his point in Romans 9. That's his point. And in, in, in Paul is citing Isaiah 45. All doctrine flows from God. So why didn't God stop the rebellion of Satan? Why did Adam fall? Because God ordained it as such. That's the answer you give your children. He ordained it as such. Why do you believe by faith today? Why are you guaranteed to go to heaven when you die? Because God ordained it as such. And if you think you played a hand in it, can you boast? You can if you think you played a hand in it. No man can boast. No man can boast. God never makes his plan as he goes along. The glory of Christ was planned in the sin of Adam. And we know what we know according to Scripture. Nothing to be added. I can tell you're all encouraged by this. So to quote one contemporary poet, in context of Adam's sin imputed to you, We ought not read this and say, that's not fair, I wasn't there. 
So instead of saying, if you were there, what you would do, seek your refuge in Adam number two. You flee to him. You trust him. He's the sovereign, not man. Amen? May God bless you as the Holy Spirit, I pray, impresses his word deep into your soul as we grow in faith and trust in him, the sovereign. And obey by grace what he has revealed to us. Amen, beloved? Father, we thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that we don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. But Lord, where we have concerns in life, God Almighty, I pray that you'll help us in our unbelief, increase our faith. Help us in our weaknesses, Lord. Help us to trust that you are sovereign. Whatever any nation or political system does or doesn't do, may we always remember that you are in absolute, complete control. And as the nations, the nations rage against you, may we know that Scripture already defines that as the case. But one has come, your Son, in the perfect timetable that you decreed in eternity past to live this perfect life, life according to law, your law, to lay down his life as a living sacrifice, as a sacrifice that would die and raise up again so that we could be those living sacrifices, Heavenly Father. Help us, enable us, impart to us greater wisdom, deeper discernment. The things we don't know, we don't have to insert a man-made doctrine to fulfill the gaps. Help us to believe, help us to trust. For your glory and the good of your people, we pray in Jesus' name.